43.8 million adults experience mental illness every year. That's a high prevalence of mental illness. Yet, why is it something we're still afraid to talk about? Hello and welcome to Mind Ki Baat, a place where we discuss mental health. I am Shardul Katyayan, your host. And I'm crazy. I'm insane. I'm a psycho. I'm mad, I'm violent, I'm overdramatic. And I'm attention seeking. These are all words that describe me and anyone else that struggles with a mental illness, or at least that's what the media tells us. Time and again in discussions about mental health issues, stigma stands out as a common theme, and because of this, the challenges for people with serious mental illnesses compound manifold. Stigma, prejudice, or discrimination against people with mental illness or problems can be obvious, but more often than not, it's not that obvious. But no matter the form, it can lead to serious harm. Often, people avoid or delay seeking treatment due to concerns about being treated differently or fear of losing their jobs or how they'll be perceived by people around them because stigma, prejudice and discrimination against people with mental illnesses is a big problem in our society. In this episode of Mind Ki Baat, we'll discuss the stigma that still surrounds or is associated with mental health. Stigma, a mark or disgrace associated with a particular circumstance. And this is what it does to It people. makes them feel like having a mental illness is embarrassing. You never say to someone with a broken bone to just ignore their pain. That'll just pass. Unfortunately, many people with mental illness have been told at least once in their life, just snap out of it. This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Mind Ki Baat. And for that, today I have two wonderful guests with me. Our first guest is Devina Bakshi, who is a health journalist and currently is a master's candidate of public health at Yale. She is also the co-founder of The Mental is Political and Pink List India. For our subscribers and listeners, so Pink List India is country's first archive of politicians supporting LGBTQIA plus rights. And The Mental is Political is a feminist collaborative, uh, feminist collaborative platform, I would say, for mental health, social justice and advocacy. She was also an assistant health editor and reporter with Quint during the COVID crisis. Our second guest is Mrinalini Ravi. Mrinalini is the deputy director of the Banyan and has been there since 2011. And for the uninitiated, Banyan is an organization which primarily works with homeless people with mental illness. The briefest way I can say it is to bring positive and sustainable change in their lives. And what she and her team do is essentially our topic for today. She and her team work to reduce stigma associated with persons with mental illness and in spaces that cater to them. Hello, Devina. Hello, Rinalini. Welcome to News Laundry. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, to connect with you and Devina. First, I want to ask you, Rinalini, about this taboo, which is sort of everywhere in our society. And you've been dealing with this problem for years now, I assume. And in many different aspects, I would think that you have encountered it on many levels, like policy issues and how people deal with it 
deal with it in their personal spheres and social spheres so what are your thoughts on it yeah uh, thank you shardul so firstly i just want to say that uh, stigma is not necessarily relegated to india um stigma against persons with mental health issues have been a universal um trans temporal thing uh, and uh, you know so mm-hmm. i don't think india is the only country to uh, stigmatize people with mental health issues mm-hmm. uh, what we can say is that uh, in fact if you look at our um, uh, history or if you look at our uh, uh, texts and things like that there are there are always conversations about people with mental illness that are somewhat taken uh, in uh, you know as part of uh, 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 an ecological system with different kinds of people mm-hmm. uh, so um, i feel that we have not really shied away from it and we have incorporated into our uh, you know uh, indigenous or uh, local uh, medical practices it's just that um Uh, and and i'm not saying it was without its flaws every system has its flaws uh, i think it's just that we have uh, 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 you know uh, sort of shy shied away from that particular uh, conversation alone ever since there has been this uh, sort of pre- uh, uh, pressure at least over the past 50 years um, to be perfect to be the best version uh, that you can be mm-hmm. and you we have set standards for who what is best who is best how is best you know there are no uh, divergent views on what success constitutes what good looks constitute what uh, manners constitute i mean everything everything was just so uh, unidimensional in the way it was uh, looked at so and anybody who is going away from that norm uh, anybody who is going away from the pattern and from that uh, sort of uh, life cycle was considered um, uh, to be uh, somebody who needs to work on themselves and uh, I, and and it's almost that society is bearing with uh, the fact that they are different so um, yeah that's that. so i would say that's where if you go to like origins of origin story of stigma i would just say that it's just been exacerbated as a result of um sticking on to certain uh, notions of perfection or notions of normal that we for some reason are being very stubborn to get away from so i sort of perceive it as we only have one mold to quote and quote mold our children or people into a perfect definition of perfect if i say and sometimes people just don't fit into it and they are they fall to the side they lack and they are not able to do anything which they could have with a bit of support am i right there i can't agree with you more because uh, when you look at uh, something called the social model of disability what uh, you know uh, presents the onus on the society and not the individual to um, mold itself to uh, to uh, uh, accommodate all kinds of people so if we're saying that you know we have um buses that are not accessible to people in wheelchairs or uh, text not available in braille or um support for uh, people with deaf mutism i think then it is not really the individuals uh, um, uh, it's not on the individual to make changes it's on the society to say that look these are living breathing human beings who are equal to us in every way um it's just that they are different so the minute you understand that we are you know all uh, we, we i mean each of our lives is just as valuable as the other then we will 
make efforts to uh, accommodate uh, to certain specifications that people have. Like left-handers couldn't for the longest time access desks because it was largely for um, right-handers. Yes. So, I mean, I mean, we could go on and on, but the thing is that it is not on the individual. It is on society to understand that X, Y, Z exists. Otherwise, you are just closing yourself off to a very, very significant reality and a contributing uh, uh, integral uh, component of society, which we're just casting them aside because we couldn't figure out how to uh, make things uh, convenient uh, uh, for people who are different than us. Yeah, you're right there. And if I may say so, I think people with mental health issues, once they overcome their problems and they start to handle them effectively, I personally believe they can be quite I mean, good comedians, I would say. I have a bias for stand-up, but I think that situations people like us encounter, and we're talking about openness, so I am one of them, but once you're past those situations, uh, they seem ironically funny. But nonetheless, Devina, uh, let me bring you into the conversation. Being a journalist, you've reported on health and you reported on women's issues. Now, while talking about mental health, we have we have to you know acknowledge the fact that diagnosis for women for a similar disorder which can be diagnosed for a man is much more difficult. They are called. They are being. They have nerve issues and they are hysterical, which has been a historical case all over the world. But being a journalist, when you reported on it or when you encountered a case like this and you wanted to talk about it, report on it, did you find a difference between uh, attitudes of people or people you work with? Yes, I think reporting on mental health has come with its challenges. And I think it is something that is being recognized more, um, you know, and it's looked at because I guess health in itself has come into focus specifically after COVID. Uh, but I just wanted to agree with Mrinality there as well before I continue on, you know, looking at this this mold of how we're looking at mental health issues as an individual problem versus how we're trying to move forward to look at it more holistically and really connected to uh, society as a whole. Um, you spoke about mental is political. That's sort of what we were aiming to do as well, just to say that, you know, it is... Um, it is the society that also breeds a lot of these issues because uh, you see so much sociopolitical unrest and you see so much uh, instability and that sort of feeds into things. So it's it's not always um, just an individual uh, um, sort of reaction um, on reporting. And I, so on, on, I guess, women with mental issues yes definitely I agree with you there is I guess because there's just the double stigma also that you have with gender inequality um, there is also you know uh, a lot of uh, historically just science in general has been catering to um, the norm which was looked at as male mm -hmm. so even when we're looking at heart attack diagnosis a lot of the times the symptoms were mostly focused on heart attacks in men Mm -hmm. uh, women have different symptoms that wasn't recognized for a very, very long time. Uh, similarly, with things like ADHD, uh, a lot of the symptoms that are typical for an ADHD child uh, are typical to boys. And a lot of women would not, you know, be able to see themselves in those symptoms. Uh, doctors or families wouldn't recognize, you know, because they're looking at a set of symptoms that aren't prescribed to their gender. Um, a lot of the times, I mean, this is also talking in a bit of a binary, but in general, they would, um, a lot of women sort of fell out of the 
fell in the cracks of this. So they had mm-hmm. ADHD. They weren't getting um, the the adequate you know treatment because the symptoms that they thought they were supposed to get they weren't matching up with them. And it's taken a long time and a lot of you know more gender specific research to come to a point where you're realizing that all right you know they are specific socialized. You know, uh, even children as young as five, like girls, are socialized differently. They present their symptoms differently. Mm-hmm. So, if you know, we have to watch out for different things. Um, so that's been interesting to report on. Um, I guess in in general, you know, just again to tie it up with reporting on mental health. I think um, just speaking from my own experience, from specifically from COVID, and we had a lot of um, you know, in in India, we had so much with mental health with suicide coming up in these past few years um so it has been really important to report on it more i mean i'm seeing a lot more reporting but at the same time there has to be i mean there's still uh we're still not following in general a lot of reporters a lot of media isn't following you know just these guidelines on mental health reporting on sensitive reporting um maybe specifically you know the example of suicide right yep. um, there are who world health organization guidelines for reporters on how to you know report properly on suicide with with dignity but also you know to uh, ensure there are no copycat suicides and uh, we saw that unfortunately happen with the shushant rajput case you know yes. where we people were reporting really really terribly and they were copycat suicides of you know young children so i think um, that, that's that's something that i wanted to highlight when when i mean while it is wonderful that we are definitely talking about mental health more and we are uh, writing about it more there still has to be um, adherence to certain guidelines and certain just um, dignity of it because it is it is a more sensitive area um than i guess a lot of other health reporting yes so i had one other uh, thing to ask you mm-hmm. um you're working in public health now you're studying it yes. um let me give you give our audience also some stats according to ncrb 164000 people committed suicide in india in 2021 which is 7.2% more than 2020 when the figure was 1.53 lakh and it has been increasing every year global stats according to who say that 10% of global burden of disease and i would say about 25% of non fatal disease burden is because of mental health issues i bring up those statistics because most people don't understand that a large number of suicide victims are people who couldn't get help uh, when they were in the initial stage stages of their mental health problem and when you study this in public health sector what approach do you see overseas or if you are aware about it in india what is the attitude of public health representative public health you know officials about this and how aware they are that this is a problem they need to understand because let me add one one other point you brought up covid in my opinion covid led to isolation of so many of us like most of us with couple of our family members or if someone in a joint family like four or five people and that led to the shedding of masks so to speak like mask people put up to hide their problems or you know stow away their issues for personal time and this is what brought it into the open and for a while it was the topic of conversation but it again seems to have fallen into the cracks what do you think about 
like how the public health overall is going towards it i think um you know people dying from suicide were trying to not use committed but um i think that has definitely that conversation has come up a lot more in covid uh, a lot more in india it has this i mean the, it's it's clearly a phenomenon that's been going on for so long you know we looked at the farmer suicides for so many so many years before this um but i think finally in covid like you said the masks were off you know the metaphorical mm-hmm. masks were off and people were confronting their issues a lot more because again in isolation there was much little else to do um so i think that conversation did come up uh but i think from a public health point of view i think someone i uh, as as a reporter that i leaned on particularly was uh, dr pathare from dr sumitra pathare um who is a uh, from from pune who is mm-hmm. a consultant psychiatrist and was the director and is the director of the center for mental health law and policy at ils mm-hmm. um and he helped draft india's you know uh, mental health law and his take is one that i agree with and i also think a lot of um public health literature is is uh moving towards which is that suicide is um a multi-pronged issue right it's it's not just a health issue mm-hmm. um and it it can't always only have a health a sort of uh solution yes for example with the just with the farmer suicides right like it wasn't yes there was a lot of you know clearly mental health issues as well that led them to take these steps but it was driven by economic factors right so you can't just do a, a health intervention there yes. and expect it to go so it needed so actually uh, dr pathare was saying that one of the things they did was um you know i think this was in rural maharashtra was to look at the the methods that people were using and sort of curb those methods so they sort started locking up the 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 pesticides or something which was a method that people were using um yeah. and they tackled it that way and they saw a reduction in suicide or when you have suicides when you um a lot of the time especially for children and especially in india you have around the board time right like in the, in the 10th standard specifically um and these are so unfortunate and also again so um avoidable because you know the trigger right here like you've studied this you know that the trigger is that the boards are coming that these children feel they haven't done as well or whatever yes and so the intervention isn't yes it is of course it is um counseling and mental health support and a lot of other you know sort of making getting a peer support network getting getting families on board all of those things but um also to understand that culturally in india these things are not going to happen overnight you know yes you can say the family has to be more supportive but sometimes this is a little bit of a privileged view or this is a view that's not you know taking into account the diversity in india and all of you know just the different circumstances right yes um so there's a lot of pressure on these young children so i think this was in chennai i'm forgetting the year but they had an intervention where they the the education ministry sort of got on board and they so it went out of health right and it 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 combined with the education sector and they sort of gave the option of you know if someone scored below x percent i think it was 60% um they are allowed to give a retest in the 10th standard mm-hmm. and that drastically you know reduced suicide rates because that's all they needed at that point they just needed that sort of helping hand yes so i think the idea is that while we're talking about mental health issues to look at specific things more specifically so look at look at suicide look at you know 
what suicide in women how do we do we tackle it the same as we're doing farmer suicides no right like there's a different yes. reason for it there different so you need different bodies to get involved different government bodies different agencies and you need a more multi-pronged solution it's not going to be a quick thing it's not going to be short like just another thing was in covid we saw a lot of doctor suicides as well and we saw this before but you know there clearly is a need for a larger intervention there Yep. um in terms of you know working hours in terms of just overhauling a lot of systemic things so i think it needs to be looked at more holistically yes like people conflate behavioral issues with different mental health problems and we hope to address these in our subsequent episodes when we address individual uh, problems devina mentioned a step taken by education department in chennai i uh, i hope i think you may know something about it i assume and let me add this that I've seen scientists' opinion, like scientific opinion and public opinion. There's a vast chasm between these two things when com- when it comes to mental health. And sort of people who are quite vociferous online are religious about the problems with brain chemistry. And if you say that there are social aspects to mental health problems too, which exasperate them, which sometimes trigger them, they are very vocal in your opposition. And I'm sure the work you do. you might have encountered it so how do you deal with it how does one anyone deal with it in fact see um what happens sometimes in the mental health sector we have to remember that psychiatry is a 200 year old science yes we are far far behind uh, so many other things uh, phys- physics or chemistry that have made tremendous advances right mm-hmm. so um much of it is uh, uh you know things that we're learning along the way I, i only feel that if instead of being so deterministic about uh, uh it's whether it's x or y or z like we are still trying to do some gene mapping to locate uh, where the schizophrenic gene is or um uh, depression or whichever illness right and we're still trying to understand nature versus nurture we're still trying to understand the impact of trauma we're still trying to understand um the impact of um Uh, you know nutrition uh, overcrowding so many things well, I mean, we are still very young as a science and we're still trying to uh, you know understand who we are it's just that i think sometimes people like to jump the gun and and mm-hmm. and and dif- and almost and this is the problem with uh, um uh, you know many democracies in that is that you know just to defend my point i don't need to put down yours i think <laughs> agreeing if we can agree that if you can strongly defend yourself which we cannot at this point i think it's just better to say that with a little bit of humility i may be wrong but xyz results have proved a particular thing and if we open out this conversation and really um bridge the gap between uh um you know so called academics and you know so called the public because i i i mean you can't be out of the public if you you know just because yes. you're an academic right so so i think that um, uh, this sort of uh, uh, multiple views especially of people with lived experience of mental health issues and of of different sorts so uh, we can't say that all of us who have mental health issues can be put in one bucket we are just as diverse as uh, any other population so 
and people who are the people who we cater to uh, that is homeless ultra poor tribal children with parental mental health issues or i mean we work with the most vulnerable communities and women so um we feel that this these aren't the kind of people who are heard in public radio who are um, or who are featured in academic journals uh, or who are um, interviewed you know um, in big places but, but some of their insights or rather all their insights are what pertain to them and they need to have a seat at the table to say that hey you might say this but i am i am being extremely vehement and vociferous in the fact that these are my experiences and i want that considered or i want that incorporated to any law system and policy mm-hmm. otherwise we are just we're just being unfair and uh, we're actually being silly here because you are never going to get the right answer without involving the people with uh, who who know better than most of you we live the illness we know what it is have you encountered it that's my first question and how do you deal with it and you know what can be done to get the information the lives of people who are so far removed from it that they are ready to change their children so uh, well i have of course uh, seen children uh, or even adults be chained to a tree or uh, be chained to their houses and the mothers and the fathers have to go to work um and sometimes the there may not be parents and a grand an elderly grandmother has to look after uh, an adult with a mental health condition often who is uh, stronger than her and can overpower her hmm. so um, and and p we see sites like this and we still question uh, whether mental health is a, a social uh, evil mental illness is is a result of social evil or or deprivation or a result of social norms and mores we are very clearly seeing that there are some populations for whom this is a reality not because that grandmother wants her child uh, the grandchild languishing it's just that she doesn't have a choice yep. it's just that um, Uh, you know we have uh, and and let me let me just you know take a little shift and tell you that uh, see we are a, we are a young ish nation in the sense post independence and we are we every there are you know a large majority of the population that is still on survival mode Yes. they don't know where their next meal is going to come from they don't have any social security many have no legal uh, uh, legal recourse many of them know for a fact that their rights are never going to be realized or or even the fact that they can talk about their rights right so for populations like this mental health is uh, i mean everything is uh, 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 not access nothing is accessible or very few things are accessible to them like they are for uh, you and i so mental health is just another reflection of uh, one more deprivation that they're facing mm-hmm. right so if you so we're saying that the basic health facilities are not available right you want to go uh, uh, you know for if you have a fever you will have to go to the local quack or you you know or, or, or just live with it because you neither you are not also given sick leave you can't take off work because you lose your daily wages because for um uh, uh, unorganized labor sector then there's barely any legal rights yep. right so so mental health whatever is uh, you know whatever presents itself as a structural barrier will obviously reflect in mental health so uh, if you so if you're looking at poor birthing practices leading to uh, mental retardation development um developmental disabilities or uh, uh, you know overcrowding uh, trauma uh, uh, extreme poverty and deprivation not having um, an impact on uh, mental health conditions all these things have been proven 
right, that uh, there is a direct impact on social uh, and structural barriers and mental ill health. So, and mental health is also a reflection of the larger social and uh, the corollary is that mental health is a reflection of social justice, uh, prevailing social justice practices. I wanted to focus on, let's say, the people who you can talk to about this, right? But they are ambivalent to it, quite ignorant, and most of the time, many times, hostile towards it, right? Acknowledging this, you know, and listen, you know, accepting to listen to someone who may who may or may not be able to explain, like like the work you guys do. So, if you encounter that person and they are so resistant, and you must have. How do you deal with this? Like for a novice who's listening to this podcast, um, if he or she or they want to talk about something they are encountering and they know, how does one approach people in their life? Okay, yeah. So, well, um, the two fortunate things is that we started on account of uh, identifying uh, a huge gap that was leading to a perpetual cycle of abuse in the community. That is the lives of homeless women with mental health issues. So it started as a very um, sort of emotional response to an immediate need, which is being patently ignored by, uh, you know, society. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think since the, because the people who've been engaged with, uh, you know, this cause are still continuing to be engaged um we find that it is we are we are bound by a sense of duty to respond to our fellow human that you see suffering uh, uh you respond to it and that's the only reason you are here you're working here or you're associated with this cause so the vision is very very clear is of distress alleviation and to promote a sense of equity and community uh and to promote participation amongst people with mental health issues um The second thing is that we are very, very um, focused on promoting peer and caregiver leadership. So uh, if you see uh, two, uh, our program in Trichy is run entirely by two women, uh, two sisters uh, with a lived experience of uh, mental health issues and they access treatment at the Banyan, one for bipolar uh, disorder, one for um, major depressive disorder. And uh, they once they sort of uh, transcended the sense of uh, self-doubt, whether they will be able to go out into the world or not. I'm not bringing in recovery here because that uh, yes. has its own, you know, comes with its own controversy. So I would say that getting beyond getting to a point where you accept that you are somebody who lives with a mental health condition but who are confident enough that there are enough uh, confident that there are enough uh, security social security nets to allow you to be who you are and to thrive with all your faults with all your uh, idiosyncrasies with all your quirks um if uh, you know i get to enjoy a life of leisure and freedom and um, choices they should do and i think that's what you know we would say is 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 you know getting to a point where you can do all these things for yourself anyway coming back to this to um these sisters started a program and they are running uh, homes, uh, long-term uh, housing options for people with mental health conditions, all on their own in Trichy. It's a small village. It's um, it's called Kovindakurichi. So, and, and we welcomed that decision. We actually pushed it quite a great deal because peer leadership is patently lacking in this country mm-hmm. and uh, we don't hear the voices of uh, you know people like this you know who cannot who are not uh, well spoken who they don't know uh, they don't speak english they may not have gone to high school but the point is that um, they have insights and they have 
uh, they have the answers to so many things that we don't, and that needs to be valued. So one is the so to summarize, one is the um, uh, you know complete focus and reminder of social justice, which is why we started. The second is to promote people like proximal leaders is what they're called with mental health conditions or their caregivers who really know the ins and outs of. Um, mental health conditions and who can provide insight that will be most valuable uh, to understanding the needs of people uh, with mental health issues. Yeah. So, Devina, I wanted to bring you into this. And so, like Amrinalini talked about that people need to, you know, first the self-acceptance comes, then you talk about it and, you know, purpose in life, relationship with others, all these make up our lives. And like your the name of your organization advocacy group yeah yeah i also have a personal pet peeve which i keep mentioning in different you know scenarios personal is always political you know it's personal who fuels the political ultimately and you are in the us and us systems are generally considered to be you know advanced in public systems and much more open andrew yang when he was campaigning for his uh, presidential run he completely othered the people who had mental health issues. I am so passionate about addressing the mental health crisis. Instead in of our GDP, country. we should be measuring childhood education rates, average income, mental health and freedom from And let these companies know that the mental health of our kids are more important than their profits. Record high GDP and stock market prices, you know what else are at record highs? Suicides, drug overdoses, we depression. We need to destigmatize mental health issues. We need to invest in, in, in a, uh, uh, a society-wide way. he... You know, linked it to safety, your personal, you know, personal safety and susceptibility to attacks. That got a lot of flag, but that got me thinking that if politicians and you know prominent politicians of Western world, quote unquote, developed countries are there, then we are almost at a hopeless stage in India. So, in your work, do you encounter this? And you know, what steps do we take, or does anyone take? to alleviate this problem from our public systems and perception of people who make decisions, especially? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Though I will say that I think the public systems in India are also, I think, I mean, in, in the US are not that great. I mean, yeah. specifically <laughs> just because as studying public health and, you know, seeing the devastation of COVID, um, I think, and just the inequalities in the system, I don't think it's a great system. Um, but That's why I said uh, perceived yeah, to I be. Think, <laughs> yeah, um, I, um, I think that it is, it's, it's an interesting question because perceptions of mental health issues are still, you know, specifically like you were talking about, India is such a diverse and such a big country. Um, and while, yes, we are talking about it more in certain sections, perceptions in a lot of sections have not changed you know and this is um this is just because of various reasons right like Mrinali was saying various socioeconomic reasons where they are where a lot of people don't have the the language for it as well but they're experiencing these things um so one of the things that we as reporters are trying to do at least is like she was saying you know bring in people with lived experience to the table and actually have them either author papers or author like um, i mean stories or we would do a lot of stories with, you know, uh, suicide survivors, try to change the narrative that way to say that, you know, it's not that 
um this was something dr pathare and i we we tried to you know really this was one thing he wanted me to get across very very strongly if anything i wrote related to mental health mm-hmm. i mean he would he would specifically talk on suicide but it was about you know this one myth that is that you know once someone says they're suicidal it means all hope is lost that's a complete myth right like that's the beginning of them actually coming to you and saying that i have this issue i'm open about it yeah i need help and it's not the end of the world it's many people come back from you know suicide attempts and um and and various other mental health uh, issues you know they learn to live with it they learn to cope they build resilience um so i think for us to change perceptions it was very important that we center lived experiences of uh, people and we get those people from across you know the board involved um so and also to look at them as experts you know we tried to reposition them as not like we're getting a case study to talk about themselves as like this person who has whatever let's say bipolar disorder mm-hmm. is the expert on bipolar disorder for themselves right yep. like yes we'll also have like a medical professional or something as well um but we also have them as an equal expert in their experience of their life just to show that a you know th- to center their their story and give it equal importance but also to show that it's 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 very diverse you know people's experiences of bipolar disorder are affected by your socio political standing by various things right like how you experience life how you think about things um and to just show it in all its all its all its colors um yep. so that was something we tried to work on 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 changing perceptions um your your a question was also about larger community perceptions right within public health yes the especially the people um, or bodies who make decisions and they are so you know oblivious to these facts yeah i think um i mean there are various ways to look at that i think there are already a lot of organizations who are working on this you know who are working with um with with governing bodies in india who are you know connected to grassroots organizations who are seeing that this is a big change it is difficult to talk about these things still because i think that there is such a stigma in a lot of places but i think with you know the passing of the mental health act uh, mental health care act in 2017 and things like that and just the general awareness it we the needle has shifted a little bit from you know this perception of you know hopeless and pagal and all to a little bit more nuanced thinking of of mental illness of mental health and looking at it as also you know societal as 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 a broader thing rather than just an individual you know pathologization but um but i think there's still a lot of work to be done as you know from the reporting angle from the media angle i think we're trying to look at it by getting people involved getting um you know voices of survivors voices of people dealing with these issues as equally worthy of recognition getting them involved in telling their stories a little bit more storytelling is a huge huge way of you know really changing minds about this right because a lot of these are personal stories stats and things definitely do work and we're seeing that but in a country as big as ours there's stats for everything and there you know so many competing um health issues as well yeah so i think personal stories personal narratives is where you know uh, we really try to come and show the diversity of mental health and the importance of mental health and that it's really affecting everyone in some way or the other yeah so 
when you talk about personal let me bring an anecdote i was talking to one of my social acquaintance i've hung out with this person for many times and you know i told him about the, you know the problems and you know hurdles with adhd coupled with asd can bring into your life and i've sat with that guy many times and we have sort of good chemistry we hang out regularly his statement sort of startled me at first and you know gave me the content for this podcast he said that okay so you have dealt with this for this long this many decades and you recently found out he he said in brief and i'm paraphrasing that at least it's a good thing if you have a child who has the similar problem at least you would know how to you know handle that child and he didn't think for a while i communicated to him that what you're saying is kind <laughs> in many ways offensive also but i know you're not offending me but it's you know blinding yourself to the reality in many ways and i had to tell him like would you say this to a blind person or a person who's missing let's say a limb that okay you're blind but at least you know how to you know handle a blind child if you have one and he took some time and i and i mentioned this because in all these talks which we are discussing that how to approach this there is an extremely personal aspect to this we can talk about systems we can talk about public policy and how society in general does this but when one person tries to talk about them any issue they may face depression we've seen so much uh, devina mentioned ssr sushant singh rajput thing people on tv like prominent people were not ready to accept that clinical depression when it becomes chronic can lead to suicide Sushant Singh Rajput ne aatmahatya nahi ki thi uski hatya hui thi maine kaha tha ki ho sakta hai ki Sushant ki hatya Riya Chakravarti ne na ki ho lekin Riya Sushant Singh ki maut mamle mein uthte sawal unhe ye ab ek alag angle le liya hai Sushant Singh created the evidences that have been available this looks like and is veering towards homicide Sushant ke liye insaaf ki ladai ab sirf main nahi ladna aap ye pure desh ki ladai hai dosto aap ki Sushant Singh Rajput no that Riya Chakravarti was allegedly dealing in drugs Sushant ne aisa kyon kiya This personal you know hindrance and a bit of obnoxiousness from people who don't know it's not intentional how does one counter this and have you seen anyone you know struggle with it or have you found any ways to you know <laughs> make people understand uh yeah that's a very interesting anecdote and i think that's one of the steps when we sometimes when we talk about you know like you said processes and systemic issues and uh we get caught up in the the macro of it you forget that a lot of the times what makes change is these a lot of these personal stories um a lot of you know you know these things are what really changes mindsets and there's clearly a lack of empathy here because there's this idea that oh, okay this is the problem this is the solution and it's looked at as you know come on you can get over it mm-hmm. or you know I, i'll just tell you what to do and then do it now like just get over it yeah where is which which is which is again which is very common and i think a lot of people for them that is you know being empathetic or being there for the friend but it's not really because you're not um understanding of what the friend who is going through this and has opened up to you and has has been vulnerable what they need in that moment um so i think yeah personal stories are extremely effective 
active in creating this kind of change and encountering a lot of narratives and encountering a lot of myths. And then you can go to the structural um, and, and really, you know, look at it at a broader level. It seems to me that it's hard for people to imagine a mental disability rather than a physical one. And this is why a conversation like I had and like Devina mentioned, these things happen. The, the empathy sometimes I think is not intentional. And in in personal spaces, like I asked her, how, how does one counter that? How does one deal with it? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you know, um, when you said the story about, you know, what, what, what your friend said, the whole, I was just thinking, is it, um, is it that people, you know, somebody with a mental health issue can only be with somebody with a mental health issue, like, you know, where people from a different planet who, um, you know, have uh, eight dimensions and can speak <laughs> our own language, yes. uh, and you know, have our own uh, telepathic communication or something like that. No, so that's the, the whole idea is that you know, it, it becomes part of one common uh, cluster, one, one common society that we're in with different kinds of people. And uh, so I don't, I think that, I don't think people are not able to imagine uh, uh, people with mental disabilities or mental health issues. It's just, I feel the people who brush it most under the carpet are the people who need most help. You know, because um, acknowledging the uh, different, uh, acknowledging different sides to you, different dimensions to you, some of which may uh, be troubling, uh, are something that uh, you need to uh, explore in detail and 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 figure out. Um, you know, if it's something that you need professional help for, if or if you need to talk to about uh, it to someone. So I think. Yeah, people are more scared of the fact that, uh, you know, it'll, they will not be able to deal with it if it happens to them. I think there's more of a fear inward than it is outward, uh, which is what gets uh, projected in languages like, oh, you know, you, you'll be able to understand the feeling because there is so much terror within uh, yourself that, you know, what if it happens to me? Yeah. So I think it's that fear over uh, not having a child with mental health issues. I'm talking about is that fear of you having developing a mental health condition. Mm -hmm. I think people are much more worried about that because um, like I said, you know, we are all made to fit into these uh, nice little cubicles and, 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 and molds that uh, when we go outside of that, we are worried about how we ourselves are going to react to the whole thing. So I think the inherent fear of your own mental health is what makes you project uh, stigmas onto other people. Yeah, uh, and uh, I would add that uh, it depends on the condition too. Some some conditions are e you can hide them easily. Some you need more support with. Mrinalini, uh, now many corporates, you know, many workplaces in private sector too have started to you know inculcate some programs or you know give space to people with different mental health issues. Like I personally know about autism. You know, people who can work with it are now being given some space and you know uh, some support to work in those environments uh, how does and the first question is before i ask how are there any open programs which you are associated with or you know that people or companies i, I should say companies or systems are inculcating in their structure to you know accommodate people with mental health issues and one final question to it is on a personal basis when someone who li who's listening to this podcast wants to talk about these issues to let's say their family or you know in their workplace and 
open up about them what would you like to tell them with your experience yeah so uh, well the best way to get rid of stigma is contact is more like divina said you know more uh, uh, testimonials living uh, next to somebody with a mental health issue marrying somebody with a mental health issue like uh, so basically complete integration of people uh, in the community is what i think is is the best um, you know way of alleviating stigma so uh, similarly uh, you know in the workplace to uh, do affirmative hiring of uh, you know people with mental health conditions offering additional support systems for people with mental health conditions uh, and uh, you know encouraging peer leadership so those are the kind of things that uh, you know uh, corporates um, have been prescribing mean, uh, have been uh, sort of uh, encouraging themselves to do and it's a very very positive trend so um, we uh, we've seen many many people like during the pandemic we uh, spoke to deloitte we spoke to sundaram fasteners uh, who uh, also support us at the banyan academy mm-hmm. uh, many such organizations who came forward for employee wellbeing and said that uh, you know we want we want to offer sick days for uh, people with uh, you know a, a sick days even when it comes to mental health Health, uh, you know, um, uh, align with insurance companies that are offering, uh, you know, giving benefits for treatment and therapy, and um, and you know, uh, promoting employee welfare by, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, supporting them with, uh, 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 you know, uh, like let's say one paid leave for a month or young mothers or whatever it is. A lot of well-being initiatives are being promoted right now. They've been they've been seen across in the rest of the world. They're being promoted and it's very very encouraging. Uh, and so what we would actually uh, we actually want we dream uh, is that we have people uh, with mental health conditions. integrated in uh, different um, aspects of society especially in the workplace because there is nothing that promotes well-being and uh, personal recovery like work yeah. being back in the workforce uh you know so just supporting people with mental health conditions to uh, adhere or stick to the workforce is probably one of the biggest focus areas that uh, uh, we need to build on one additional thing uh, whenever workplaces or work comes into the picture there is always a question and i've seen it like while researching for this podcast i encountered this query or doubt from a lot of managerial pe- people in management positions that their productivity is not consistent or is low what do you tell to people who are you know in, who are intending to hire someone with a mental illness i think uh, i think it's about finding a rhythm so uh, like if you if there is somebody who's lived with a mental health condition for a long time and has sought help uh, there may be some amount of uh, insight as to what are the good days and what are the bad days mm-hmm. and to be uh, prepared for the bad days uh with with additional support so like sometimes i know that even at work people make empty promises like let me know if there's something i can do <laughs> yeah. but uh, to be specific about it and say that hey you know what i know that uh, uh xyz dates are um have been a little difficult for you in the past is there something uh, i can do can i take uh, this this particular project off your hands or can we work together you know sort of very very uh, proactive support will really help people feel like um uh, you know they they can stick to something and that really is very very important for all our self esteem to be able to see something through, uh, through to the end right and in addition like lo- very often you know when people drop out of jobs they say that look they 
all went, they all go out for coffee, they all go out for lunch, but they never invite me because they tiptoe around me. So they feel that they're, um, you know, they're only... Um, uh, uh, duty to me is to make sure that they don't offend me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we haven't found a way to be funny with each other. We And and obviously when you joke around with someone, you are, that there may be slight uh, offenses that you pass on to each other, but you take it in good spirits because you know you're in a safe place. Yeah. But everybody tiptoes around us and, you know, they they, they go out without us and they, we feel like we're outsiders. So, um, so that essential socializing that happens between colleagues doesn't happen. Yeah. And and, uh, and they also sometimes pass remarks which can be extremely um, derogatory behind your back, like, you know, whispering that, oh, pagal hai, or whatever it could be, or, you know, don't say this to this person, to, uh, uh, you know, they're going to get angry and you never know what's going to happen or things like that. And, these, uh, and, and, you know, when we hear things like that, we feel extremely offended and uh, we don't want to be part of this ever again. And you can see victims of bullying. This is not restricted to people with mental health issues. Victims of bullying will not want to go back to school because um, it's unpleasant. Right. So uh, if I'm going to be excluded, if I'm going to be talked down to, if I'm not going to be supported, um, I'm so my life will be difficult, but I'd much rather stay out of a job. Yeah. So like, the corollary is the support. Yeah. Like if like if people walk on eggshells around you, there would never be a camaraderie between like be it colleagues, yeah. be it friends, be it, you know, your any mate you meet on the bus every day, probably. If people yeah. just walk on eggshells around you, it would never happen. And like full disclosure, when like I told my workplace and my superiors what happened and I was open about it. But I have talked to so many people who say that, how were you able to do this? Don't you feel, you know, scared? Don't you feel insecure? And it's not only my, you know, acceptance that people would accept it and some who don't, don't matter. But it's also the responsibility of a workplace to, you know, make one feel accommodated. So it goes yeah. both ways, right? Devi, now you have been a journalist and I would say the word burnout was never published or said so many times <laughs> before COVID pandemic. Now, I'm laughing about it now, but burnout became a real problem. World Health Organization recently added burnout to its classification of diseases as, quote, an Six occupational phenomenon. Six healthcare phenomenon. workers understandably say they're At burned out. 52% of American workers are burned out. A recent study from out. Indeed shows over half of the U.S. workforce is feeling One burned out. One in three Indian professionals is burned out. 58% of the Gen Z is burnt out. Burned out. Burned out. Burned out. Burnout. 53% of millennials were burnt out even before the pandemic began. Now that number is 59%. And I think this sort of fueled the conversation conversation which led to so many discussions but like two part question to you one people who were in the industry for a while and didn't have to encounter it for a long time how did they approach or react to it and the second part is how many people acknowledged it for themselves not only the bosses or your colleagues i'm talking about <laughs> how much acceptability there was in people about their own issues because sometimes like people refuse to accept it and they say that we'll power through it i think me i mean i didn't realize i was burning out um and my my i had a wonderful boss uh who was able to see that and told me to take some time off <laughs> because we were a very overburdened you know team of three in our health um section mm -hmm. and we were suddenly doing all of this covid reporting and suddenly you know doing 
working crazy hours, producing videos, everything, right? And COVID became so multi-pronged and so many things from talking to epidemiologists to talking to health healthcare workers and seeing so much death, reporting on so much death constantly. Um, again, this was on the heels. I mean, I was in Delhi, so this was on the heels of the Delhi riots and we had yeah. seen a lot of that, a lot of instability there, a lot of, you know, mental health issues that came up there. Um, and just, you know, this period of, I mean, I think journalists across the board, even outside of COVID, are just used to working crazy hours. And I'm sure this <laughs> happens to a lot of uh, professions. We're just speaking as a journalist from our industry. You know, we are, we always push through. We work, you know, our uh, podcasts are done at late at night whenever you can accommodate everyone. Um, videos, you know, are editing, being edited late at night. And this, it's, it's just this culture of, um, it's not a nine to five culture. And so I think when you couple that with the kinds of stories you were reporting on, it became very apparent that burnout was hitting faster. Yeah. And I think there was um, an overall sort of acceptance that, yes, there is this is happening. But I think it was also seen as a sort of one off cure, you know, that yeah. we give you some time off and then you bounce back, which while, you know, in the short run, like immediately that's very helpful because yes you at that point you just need to rest but you can't keep repeating that cycle right like there has to be some institutional change that is taking place there has to be some recognition of um you know because you're always chasing a breaking story you're always chasing these things but there has to be some way that you recognize that you cannot just keep replicating the system and giving someone a break for a week and then expecting them to bounce back. Like that's not sustainable to anyone. And that's not addressing the root cause of the thing. You know, when we're talking about burnout, it needs a much more deeper sort of solution that is more, um, that, that, that is more long-term and that won't require you to take that much time off because you're not, you know, being pushed to the edge every, you know, couple of months. Yeah. So that I think I'm not sure if we're seeing that yet. We are talking about burnout a lot more. We're not talking about solutions to burnout. And I think now that COVID is over, people have people for some reason, I think we've just lumped burnout with COVID without realizing that, no, this is this has been happening post and it will I mean, pre COVID and it will it is happening now as well. But I think we need to look at some sort of systemic sort of overhaul to make sure that you know, we're not this because this is a very preventable issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, backtracking when you've reached a breaking point is not a good strategy on the long term. But b what about that? Uh, the other thing I asked, did you see any, you know, quote unquote veteran or senior people in work environments who couldn't understand or accept this thing? How was that? Uh, built I think, yes, I think, yes. And I think, um, I think, well, I guess with burnout, there was just such an overall conversation about it, even outside of, you know, the, the newsrooms and things that mm -hmm. there was this acceptance of, you know, okay, we have to be on the right side of this. Yeah. But I would say in general, there is a sort of reluctance to, to accept these things because it's like we have powered through this. So therefore you should also power through it, right? Without realizing that it doesn't have to be how it always was. Yeah. You know, it can change. It can be better. You know, something like menstrual leave, right? Like, sorry, this is a different topic, but that, yeah. we saw that same resistance there with like, you know, we, we power through it. So why does, why does this need to be an issue? 
so there was a little bit of that it it and that again is shown in the solution right yeah. that it's only seen as a one stop solution if it really was something that everyone sort of sat together and said okay let's think of a sustainable solution to this because we don't want our employees you know reaching a breaking point and everyone taking like this break and then coming back and then again taking a break yeah um but that that didn't happen and i'm i'm hoping that that conversation does happen maybe you know you need an overall shift of mindsets in terms of working hours in terms of expectations in terms of these sort of broader things um so i'm hoping that happens but not yet i think yep so i'll wind up this conversation devina mrinalini do you want to say anything before we move to recommendations uh yeah uh i mean this has been a great experience uh what somitra also says and what many of us work for is that you cannot speak to somebody who is hungry about food without providing food yeah. so when we speak about stigma and we say that mental health is a taboo in parallel we need to have in mind services um that can be available because okay i found out that you know i've been living with this condition you told me that you felt liberated after you found out yeah. but great i found out now what's next what is the support that's going to be made available to me so yeah. you know that that you know needs to uh, very very uh, urgently be put in place that services and actual support need to uh, are really missing we have an 80% treatment gap in this country so uh, that needs to um, uh, be fulfilled and then we can speak to people about stigma alleviation and the second thing is that um like you said i mean uh, mental health is mental illness is a everyday uh, battle like you know everyday uh, comes with its uh, you know its own challenges and uh, you know suddenly just just when you found out that you've understood everything there is to understand about your mental illness it smacks you in the face and say hey you haven't figured out this part yet <laughs> yes. right so um it's a struggle and 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 i think people who navigate the illness are very very brave and and they and we're doing the best we can so um what we definitely need from civil society and people like you like divina many others is to keep speaking about this so uh, you a, a cause needs to stay in public memory uh, if it is to um, uh, arrive at any kind of uh, uh, you know uh, sensible conclusion or sensible beginning in our case right yes. so we need to keep speaking about it we need to form a movement we need to come together inspire one another and it really at least once a month there has to be something on mental health uh in our journalistic platforms you know whether it's your news media or uh social media or how, how many ever platforms that we have it has to it has to be a constant reminder that you know um these are issues that you're struggling with this is how you can seek support this is how you can provide support so i think that's that's all i have to say that you know just keep it in public memory and keep and continue to fight for it as a priority in the health and disability sector I I echo everything that Manali said I think that was wonderfully well put and I think um you know this is a wonderful way to keep it in in conversation right to have a podcast like this where we are bringing up um mental health issues and looking at it in a you know broad sort of multifaceted way and bringing up the diversity in mental health you know bringing up different stories people from across the board uh different economic status different you know um genders all of that and di- different disorders and their experiences of it i think that's really powerful in combating stigma in 
in combating myths because we have these you know really sticky myths right like they are so yeah. persistent they are so age old and they are constantly repeated and so for that the only way to counter that is personal narratives is you know um because facts and figures are absolutely wonderful and that definitely builds our evidence base but i think to change people's minds and just general societal perceptions we do need these stories coming out we do need you know on on big platforms uh this idea that you know their disorders are very very common in our society there is a way forward people are dealing with this they are dealing with it by having you know familial support so i think that's one thing also we try to highlight is uh, you know the support that you get as well the voices of people who give support to show how they navigate with you know, how they you know help their friends help their family members how there is a way forward how it is difficult and there's ups and downs but uh, you know this is something that is existing and you can and, and we're just moving forward with it um so yeah thank you for having this podcast finally be in news laundry have sort of a tradition we recommend something for our listeners you know renalini you first uh yeah i think in terms of books uh, i have three uh mm-hmm. one is called the uh, uh, an unquiet mind by k redfield jameson mm-hmm. she um, lives with bipolar affective disorder and her uh, book is absolutely brilliant and it it really deconstructs mental health um and the ebbs and flows it takes very well mm-hmm. and uh, there's another book called the first rate madness which uh, talks about all the world leaders who've suffered from mental ill health Oh. so um and continue to all their lives so i think it's uh, in the interest of you know uh, bringing about testimonials in the interest of case studies we should also talk about people who uh, uh, you know in the in the uh, you know uh, consumerist world be perceived as leaders uh, and we, i think that many there are so many unsung heroes but you know these are people who everybody knows and their lives may be an inspiration to uh, readers knowing that they've suffered from very severe mental uh, health issues The third is a book uh, that is written by a friend of ours her name is Shreya Ramachandran it's called The Worlds Within You and it's one of the first indian books on uh, surviving uh, mental health conditions oh, nice. so i think that uh, you know in you know supporting uh, local talent who are writing about mental health i would say these three are definitely must reads thanks the world within you is such a wonderful book sorry i just had to say that that's a great recommendation that's a wonderful wonderful book um for me i think i'm i guess because being in an academic program i'm i'm looking more at fiction <laughs> just yes. to get out of that um i guess i was thinking along the lines of mental health sort of books as well that have helped me understand it one of them that i read long ago and i think i always go back to is uh, the bell jar by silvia plath i think that's just a very interesting way of you know looking at it and really understanding um it, how gender also plays into mental health yeah um another book that helped me get out of my reading slump and really th- i i discovered that it was about you know mental health and dealing with loss and all of those things was uh, um a man called ove which is a really lovely wonderful book uh and i think another book that i would recommend is by jerry pinto which is m and the big home which i think is just a wonderful wonderful account of mental health of you know uh, society in india how and just familial relations and how you know uh, mental health is interacts with these things so yeah thank you thank you for those recommendations i only have one recommendation the podcast sadly has been clo- closed down it's called hilarious world of depression 
it's not ongoing anymore but you can find their previous episodes online listen to it like it's about depression and how people navigate through it different people have different ways it's quite funny so <laughs> please listen to it stigma often comes from lack of understanding fear inaccurate or misleading media representations of mental health issues it not only ends up affecting the people who have these issues but their friends and family too so people who are listening to this podcast i also want to ask you to reach out for help for counseling if you are struggling with any mental health problem or trauma or constantly have negative thoughts a couple of places we can recommend are telemanas which is a national tele mental health program started by government of india in 2022 and kiran which is a 24/7 helpline by Ministry of Social Justice and Empowerment and it operates in 13 languages. They have phone numbers and counselors available to talk to or reach out to someone else you can trust and seek help. Remember, we are here for you. Thank you for listening and do write to us if you have any suggestions, inputs about how we can better this podcast. This podcast was supported by Google News Initiatives News Equity Fund. News laundry is possible because of our paying subscribers. We don't run corporate or government ads. You too can be part of changing the news model. Go to newslaundry.com/subscription. Be a part of the community that pays to keep news independent. For the smoothest news laundry experience, download our app, watch our shows, listen to our podcasts, read our reports, stay informed. Pay for news, protect democracy, save the world.